welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Hey, how is everybody today? It's, uh, well, guess what? We got more snow in the Northeast, if you can imagine. Um, imagine that, snow in February. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to see, and I'm, it's crazy, I'm watching with COVID, and I was the, probably the first one to let everybody know way back in January, the end of January, when we started to see that there was something going on, something weird with people getting sick. Um, and, you know, and I said, you know, when we first started the, the uh, um, quarantines and, you know, these like, hey, let's all stay home, I said, you know, the dogs are going to start having issues because dogs that got used to your old schedule of going to work and, you know, going to school and nobody being home during the day, the dogs are now in a different situation. So we are having so many issues with these dogs. One of the things that I'm seeing is a lot of first-time dog owners. And I'm actually writing a new book. I'm not going to tell you the uh, the name of it yet, but I will once it's out and copywritten. Um, the, but the funny thing is, People who haven't had dogs or haven't had puppies are going out and getting dogs and puppies. Puppies are a lot of work. Think baby to college student. That's what you're doing. So baby to college student is a lot of time. It's a lot of years. And have baby to college student. You know that there's a lot of work involved. So it's not just a matter of you going out. And, you know, buying the food and, you know, taking them to the vet. There's a lot of training involved, a lot, so much training. So what happens is because you're not really used to it or ready for it, and sometimes, you know, listen, families have three kids, four kids. I've, I've done a lot of uh, families in the uh, New Jersey area just in the last uh, several weeks who all have, you know, little poodle mixes. They're, you know, cute and fluffy. Um, some of them have some issues because, you know, everything that's born isn't automatically healthy with a great temperament, right? But what I'm seeing is people just saying, I didn't know this was going to be that much work. I didn't realize. I thought, you know, you have the puppy, you feed it, you housebreak it, and it's all kind of, you know, and you got a puppy, and then it grows up into a dog, and it's good. To that I say, think about how long it took you how many times do you have to correct your child? How many times did you have to teach your child the same thing? How many times did you have to correct things? How many times did you have to figure things out? Because, you know, kids, that they're adorable, and then they grow up into teenagers, and you just think to yourself, what happened to that really sweet, beautiful little baby I had? What happened to that adorable little toddler? What happened to that little boy that started kindergarten. What happened? Where is he? Where is she? Where are they? Where are they? I'll tell you where they are. They're teenagers. And that's what's going on with your dogs. Dogs go through fear phases. Dogs go through challenge phases, dominance, seniority classification, all kinds of dog phases, fear impact, flight instinct. They go back and forth between different phases of development till they're 14 months old. And if you want to think about a puppy in the age, you know, we all know, oh, it's seven years, you know, for one, right? So seven human years for one dog year. But really it's not. It doesn't start out that way. So think about if you have, let's say, a child who's 10 years old. That's like a 10-month-old puppy, all right, except that the puppies never really, you know, they obviously aren't going to be as intelligent as most humans are, and we'll leave it at that. But what happens is when you have a two-month or three-month-old puppy, and two months is way too young anyway, but let's say we have a three-month-old puppy, that's like a three-year-old child, okay? So they're going to go through phases where they put everything in their mouths. They're going to go through phases where they get in trouble. They're going to chew things. They're going to you know, step on things, they're going to take things, they're going to pull things. Well, that's what a puppy does. So what does a puppy pull on? Your socks, your clothing, um, furniture, your draperies. I can't tell you how many very expensive draperies. Uh, custom uh, curtains and draperies have been, um, well, let's just say customized further by the cutest little puppy in the world. But it's not cute when you just spend $1,000 on a window treatment 
and now it's on the floor shredded. Well, the question is, would you have left your toddler around without supervision? Hopefully not. So even though I'm not a huge fan of crating a dog, you should train your dog to be comfortable in a crate. Why do you do that? Well, first of all, now my dogs don't stay in crates, but how about if my dogs have to go in or your dogs have to go in to like the animal hospital, they have some kind of an issue or now because everybody's, you know, worried about COVID, you don't go in anymore um, into the examining room with the veterinarian. Now you sit in your car. So if they have a lot of emergencies, your dog may end up having to be in the crate. Now, if the dog's never been in a confined area, then he might get stressed. He might be a disciplinary problem. He might try to bite. He might try to react in a way because he's not used to it. So it's doing your dog a disservice and a huge disservice when you start thinking of the dog as a human. Now, let's say you don't, oh, I don't want to crate train my puppy. I don't, I don't want my dog in a crate. That's mean. Well, then never send your child ever to his or her room. Don't go into a bathroom because that's certainly smaller than a real room, right? And don't get into a car because, I mean, my gosh, that's smaller than a crate would be for a dog. Where crates begin to be a problem is the people, the adults, right, the parents who start using the crate as a disciplinary um, injunction (laughs) rather than as a training protocol. So it's okay if the dog is going to nap. He wants to be in a smaller room. Would you want to be in a gymnasium? Seriously. Would you want to be living in a gymnasium? No, because it's loud and there's a lot of things and sounds and it's big and it's impersonal. So a crate is fine, but the key is don't make the crate too small. And for a young puppy that's being housebroken, that you're trying to housebreak, Don't make the crate too big where the puppy can go to the other side and urinate and defecate, and then he comes back and he sleeps on the other side. But for an adult dog who is, you know, potty trained and housebroken, get him a crate that's big enough that he can turn around comfortably without hitting his nose or his tail, and I'm not talking about his tail extended, but his his butt, and make sure it's high enough that he can lift his head to the normal amount he would and make sure that the crate is secure. Many dogs can get in trouble because they figure out, especially if the crate's too small, they can like arch their back like a cat and they can arch that and they can actually pop some of the um, the, the crates open. They also tend to try to go where the tray is inserted into the wire crates So it's not a bad idea to throw a couple of zip ties so that even, well, you shouldn't need the the pad um, to be moved or or to be washed, but if you do, at least you'll be able to just clip the zip ties. But you want to make sure that the crate is secure. So I actually zip tie two or three zip ties on each of the sides of the crate, one high, one middle, one low. And this way, when the dog or the puppy tries to pull out or chew out, there's a lot of strength to the crate. And it also does prevent it from collapsing. Make sure if you do use a wire crate that you're not, like when you separate it and you flip it up and you pull it back, you have to clip it around. There are like three, usually three little tabs. You have to actually make sure that two of the tabs are one way and the other tab goes up and over and then zip tie that because then it doesn't come apart. A lot of times dogs can actually chew on these cheaper wire crates. Be careful. It's not a, it's not a sale and it's not a good deal if it costs you, you know, your dog's life or it costs you your dog's eyeball or it costs you your dog's, you know, getting out and getting hurt on the way out. So make sure that you're, you're purchasing a good quality. Um, if you are doing that. The other thing, if you have a dog who's not a big chewer and, and it's just a good dog and you want him to be in the crate to keep him safe while you're at work or while you're, you know, in the shower or, or doing what you're doing and you want to make sure that he's not going to be eating stuff, there are different kinds of um, pieces of furniture that are set up to be crates. So if you have a smaller home, 
an apartment, a tiny home, and you need, you know, a place for your 100-pound dog and your tiny home, they do have some really awesome uh, pieces of furniture that it could even, I've seen them as night tables. So your dog is sleeping right there next to you um, under the night table, which is the crate. And the dog is, is happy because it's right next to you, but you don't have to have an ugly uh, crate that's, you know, there taking up space. You can just have a piece of furniture. So there are a lot of different options. But there are two things that you should always get your dogs used to. The one is getting into a crate and teaching the dogs that you're not throwing the dog into there because there's a... Uh, a a trainer, local trainer here in uh, New Jersey who ruined a lot of dogs like that because he would manhandle the dog, and if the dog wouldn't go into the crate on its own, he would pick it up and literally push it and just manhandle it into the crate and then lock it and say, okay, wait till the dog starts uh, stops crying or wait till the dog stops howling. That isn't, that isn't That is absolutely unacceptable. That is not the way to crate train your dog. You can give them treats in the crate, and those of you who know me know that I'm not a big proponent proponent of buy, uh, bribing your dogs to get them to go into a crate or, or come to you or sit or whatever. But in that case, I'd rather have the dog have a good experience, positive experience, so that the dog is feeling like, oh, okay, this is a, a good place, happy place. Um, and the crate should be a happy place. It shouldn't be where you pick the dog up and hurl it into there. You yell at it, kick it, push it, whatever. Because if you do that, think about what you're doing and think about what's happening to the dog. Think about the dog's state of mind when you're doing that because what you're in effect doing is really scaring the dog uh, and manhandling him to go into the crate, and that's not going to give him a good impression. Imagine if your parents threw you into the school bus, kicking and screaming, and then when you got there, they picked you up and carried you in, kicking and screaming, into school. You probably wouldn't have the greatest impression of school, and you probably wouldn't want to go to school. You might run away from school. So it's that same thing. Make it a really good first impression, last impression. Don't end it if, let's say, the dog decides he doesn't want to go into the crate the third time. Then you're going to have to do something different, maybe giving him a treat in the in the crate or, or a bone or something that he likes. And then I will teach you, and, and this is something where we can do a different one of these um, lessons. We do them on video, actually, on Wyatt's list. Um, I haven't talked about why it's list in a while, but it's W-Y-A-T-T-S-L-I-S-T-Wyatt'sList.com, and you can join that, and it's a really cool service. Um, it's, you know, when you go on the Internet and you Google something like, how do I fix my dog's aggression? And you will find everything from a 15-year-old who's claiming to be some expert to people who are local obedience trainers who have no clue how to handle those things because they're not behaviorists. And you'll have some people who might know, but honestly, the best thing to do is when you know your experts. So you have me, you have Temple Grandin, you have um, some of the top veterinarians in the country um, who are all contributors to this. And it's a great thing because it does go through, and we have a whole bunch on puppies, and we have these little puppy seminars. You can actually sign up, and you can take the puppy seminars. They're really cool. Um, And we have the webinars, and they're really nice because you learn the right way to do it. The problem is when you start mixing different methods, and this goes with crate training, it goes with potty training, when you start mixing things, you can't, and I see this all the time, people reach out to me, oh, I'm, you know, I'm certified by Joe Schmo. Well, Joe Schmo is a nothing, so being certified by a nothing means you're nothing, right? Don't tell me that, or don't tell, you know, somebody else who's an expert in something that you're going to take a little from each, because you can't. You can't do that with dogs. So, Each dog might need a different type of method, but you can't start if you've got a food-aggressive dog or um, a noise-reactive dog. 
you can't use a little from column A and a little from column B. And I explain it pretty common sense-wise that I say, all right, let's say we take your favorite Chinese food. Let's say it's what? General Chow's chicken, okay. And let's say you're taking your favorite soup and you say lobster bisque. Okay, and let's take your favorite Italian food. Oh, definitely, let's do spaghetti and meatballs. And finally, let's make your last one. Oh, your favorite dessert, chocolate pudding Woohoo! with whipped cream. Okay, so now imagine we take the General Chow's chicken. We take the, the lobster bisque. We take the spaghetti and meatballs. And we take the chocolate pudding with whipped cream. And we mix it all together because we're using all of them, a little from each. And now we serve that to you for your food. If you didn't throw up, just looking at what a mess it would be, just imagine the weird tastes and and just the whole way it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make any sense, right? Well, that's why you can't take one from column A and one from column B with dog training, dog behavior. It, It doesn't mean you can't use a little bit different technique but you can't use a completely different technique. If you're using positive reinforcement like clicker training or food or something, then you can't use a shock collar because what are you going to do, shock him if he's bad and give him a cookie if he's good? And I'm sure there's somebody out there going, yeah, you can. I'm like, oh, my God. This is why I'm doing the radio show when you guys are listening. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So... If you want to teach your dog, then you can't train your dog and teach your dog at the same time because it's very confusing. That's why so many people have an issue with their dogs because they get a local dog trainer and there's some really good dog trainers that you can have locally, somebody who can make your dog sit and lie down and help you with with all, all those different things. So if you have that person at one of the box stores who took, you know, a a three-week training course and knows how to make, you know, a golden retriever puppy sit and lie down and is a pro at it, if all you need is for your dog to do basic obedience, sit, lie down, come, stay, that's not hard. I mean, that is about the easiest thing you'll ever be able to do in your life. You can have a five-year-old kid with a box of dog cookies who can teach that. The issue is when you have an issue with your dog, when your dog is aggressive. When your dog is chasing you, when your dog is running from you, when your child gets bitten, when your child does something and the dog, you know, tries to hurt him, when your child gets, you know, actually just bitten in the face or bitten in the leg or, you know, your neighbors and guests come over to visit pre-COVID and, you know, they're getting bitten, they're getting jumped on, they're getting knocked over. Those are behavioral issues. And behavioral issues are not going to be fixed with a cookie, a clicker, or a shock collar. Personally, and I've had arguments with people about this, shock collars are not ever an option unless you have exhausted everything else because shock collars make dogs phobic. Shock collars, think about somebody who all of a sudden they're walking through their house And as they're walking through their house, something falls off the ceiling and almost hits them. Now, they're okay, so they keep walking, and something else falls. Or something jumps up out of the the floorboards, or something comes out of the wall, or a piece of something comes flying through the window. How comfortable are you going to be in your house now with that going on? And also, how much trust are you going to have in your owner, right, because you're the dog, how much trust are you going to have in that owner, in that person who you have that relationship with, that connection with, that that person's taking care of you? You're not. So when dogs are, are feeling pain, whether it's from a shock collar used improperly or even sometimes, mostly the time, properly, um, when you feel pain, you think, oh, I've hurt my back, I, I try to lift the pool table, or I tried to do this or that. But what happens with a dog is if they're looking, let's say they're looking at another dog, and you zap them with the shock collar, the dog thinks 
that the other dog shocked him or, or hurt him, bit him, so to speak. So the dog all of a sudden isn't looking at you as being the protector. He's looking at that other dog as being an aggressor. So that's where you can get in a lot of trouble. Now, I have seen people, few of them, but I've seen a couple of people who did a pretty good job using a shot collar, and the dogs came out okay without having phobias um, and without having more issues than they started. But could I have done better and quicker and, and, and even not just quicker, but more comfortably without the dog getting zapped and having to, to be afraid and having to be corrected to that level? See, the problem is using a shock collar and using any of those devices, what it does is it waits for the dog to make the mistake. So you're setting the dog up to fail. So let's say the dog wants to bite someone and you zap him so he doesn't bite. Does he learn not to bite or does he just say, that hurts me? Though That person, that individual, whatever it is, that hurt me. That's what he's saying. So I'm not going to do that. But what happens is that's why when, you know, dogs come back from board and train, you know, two weeks, six weeks, whatever, and you've spent, you know, anywhere between five and $15,000 on all these, you know, these trainers who are just literally, in my opinion, many of them are abusive. Um, I, I don't know how you can zap something knowing it's going to hurt something. I don't know how you can do that, but okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm 100% wrong. I don't think so, and tens of thousands of people I've worked with also don't think so. If you can do it better, softer, kinder, gentler, without using a shock collar, wouldn't you do it? If you didn't have your have to send your kid to the scared straight program because he's starting to steal things, how about if you taught him at the beginning not to do that, not to steal things, not to take things because it's wrong? And how about if you gave him instead things to do that would prevent him from wanting to do that? For instance, talking to the child, right, or getting them into hobbies, getting them into something that's a positive thing then the child would never get into drugs because the child would be focused on something else doing good. And that's the point of what I try to explain to people with the whole drug training thing. It's literally treat the dog like you would treat your child. Teach the dog. Don't train the dog. So instead of waiting for the dog to go and attack the other dog, teach the dog that it didn't have to do that job. Hey, guess what, Fido? You don't need to do that job because I'm already doing that job. That's why I've written so many books because, and, they're, and they're, I keep them purposely inexpensive so everybody can buy it. I mean, who can't afford 10 bucks, right? And if you can't, call me and I'll try to, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a, you know, your own book. Do the Wyatt's List. Wyatt's List is awesome. And it's really got stuff you'll never see anywhere else, but it's from the right perspective. If you do things to teach the child or the dog preemptively not to do something because it doesn't need to or it's just not an acceptable behavior, then the dog doesn't ever get dog aggressive. If it gets afraid, it'll wait for you. It'll look up to you. It'll I call it checking in. The dog will be checking in, looking up at you to see what you're doing. Oh, well, let's say, for instance, one of the things, most common things that I tell people to do is... You know, your dog is barking out the window or barking at the dog or barking out at the, the window at a squirrel or barking out. You leave, oh, well, we leave the door open because he likes to look outside, but then he barks. Well, so why don't you just stand with your dog and when the dog starts to bark, you go out or either go outside or go to the door, put your back to the dog, your front to the door so that you're looking out. If he tries to scoot around you, you scoot him around and go back so you're in front of him. So if he goes to the window, have somebody else there who can go to the window and check. Look out the window, look out the door, and then just go walk away, walk into the kitchen, into the bedroom, into the bathroom, in somewhere else, and your dog is going to stop barking and he's going to follow you. And you're going to look and you're going to go, I can't believe this. I mean, Janice said this was going to happen, and it did. Why would that happen? Think about it. Think about your dog as a doorbell. 
So let's say your dog sees something or hears something, because we know they can see and hear, especially hearing is phenomenal. And smell, sense of smell is 400 times better than ours. So, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, well, what does he see? Oh, there's nothing there. There might be nothing there that you see, but he might hear something that's a half a mile away that you can't hear and you can't see. So you're not going to say, oh, well, let me think. Do I, does this dog, like, is he looking outside because he actually knows? Or is he just trying to, you know, drive me crazy? And what do we do? What does everybody do? Shut up. God damn it. Get away from the wind. I'm on a meeting. I'm on a Zoom call. Stop it. Cut it out. Honey, get the dog. I can't take it anymore. We're giving him away. Why are we doing this? Why are we screaming at the dog? Why are we getting mad at the dog? Just teach him that it wasn't his job. Do you yell at your doorbell when the doorbell rings? Gosh damn it, doorbell, shut up. Guess what? The doorbell is the same thing as your dog. It's an alert. So if the doorbell rings and you wouldn't yell at the doorbell, and if you would, that's a whole other show. I'm sure somebody else deals with those issues. But if you wouldn't yell at the doorbell for ringing, then don't yell at the dog for barking. But show the dog that when you walk up and you look out the window, that all of a sudden he doesn't have to worry anymore because he's alerted you. The difference is a lot of dogs are alerting people. So you think that the dog is trying to chase somebody away, and sometimes they are, but very often it starts out where where the dog is just alerting you, and it's basically barking, going, woo, 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 mom, come here, person outside, and he's barking, woo, 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 and you get mad at him. So you yell at him, and you stand behind him typically, and you yell. So what are you doing? You're barking louder than he is. You're his backup singers. So now he's barking. You're screaming out of control, which makes you appear to be unstable and weak. And dogs aren't going to follow a weak or unstable leader. People will all day long because we have to, but dogs won't. So basically what happens is by yelling and screaming, you're showing the dog you're yelling and barking with him in support of his mission. So you're actually encouraging him to bark more. And that then eventually turns into you're behind him, he's ahead of you, the dog starts barking, you bark louder, you're pack attacking whatever's outside. That's what's happening So we've gone through a lot of interesting things already this morning, (laughs) this afternoon. I'm sorry, because we're, uh, sometimes we record. And what we're doing, though, is going through the different things, the different processes from puppyhood, crate training, and making sure the dog understands that you're doing the providing and protecting. Because what happens if you don't do these things your dog is getting the mistaken impression that he's in charge. He's the one who's supposed to provide. He's the one who's supposed to protect. He's the one who's supposed to let everybody know in the whole world that you have a dog and that dog is just, he's going to be strong and he's going to be tough and he's going to chase all the danger away. So start treating your dog like a dog. It's not a bad thing to treat your dog like a dog. You treat your children like children, don't you? When you treat your child like an adult and you give them too much information, they grow up to be psychiatrists, right? They get confused. They like, oh, my gosh, I don't understand. I'm going to go become a psychiatrist or a psychologist so I can understand how screwed up I am. And we all know that that happens. So let your dog be a puppy when he's a puppy. Let him do silly things. Just teach him along the way that you can't bite the kids, he can't rip things up. He's, he's teething. When puppies are teething, like your kids are teething, you get put baby Anbisol or baby Orogel. You give them one of those cold little rattles, that the blue rattles that has that, um, that stuff inside that it can um, help quell the pain because it numbs it because it's cold. There is so many different things that you can do. But teach your dog. 
Don't train your dog. I mean, you can train him too, but teach him. Then he'll be better behaved, and better behaved is more important than better trained. Last time I looked, I have not ever seen a dog who was relinquished to a shelter by its owners because it wouldn't sit on command. But I've sure seen a lot of dogs who have bitten, who are out of control, who are ripping things up, who are destructive, who have severe separation anxiety, who are running out of the house all the time, who are destroying things. And that's what we're trying to teach you tonight and every Friday night. Understand your dog. Understand why your dog does what he does. And once you understand why your dog does what he does, you can then fix it. You can then deal with it, and then you'll have the best dog in the world. Well, we're going to stop for a break, and we're going to return with our other show, which is called From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And I also wanted to say something, now that we're here for Shelter Dog and the Service Dog, uh, I wanted to wish my nephew Josh a super happy birthday. Today's his birthday, and um, I hope you have a wonderful day. You're awesome, and I love you dearly. So happy birthday from all of us um, at BBS, and happy birthday from all of us in, uh, in your family. We love you dearly. So... Let's go to, this is what I wanted to discuss, let's go to doggy birthdays, okay? Because people shouldn't be the only ones who have birthdays. And Shelter Dog to Service Dog, our show is dedicated to training your service dog. But a lot of you guys have dogs that are adopted or rescued. You don't know an exact birthday. And people always say, like, oh, you know, I don't know when his birthday is, and, you know, I feel bad because, you know, I want to make him a birthday party. I have a great suggestion, and people who have adopted kids, um, older kids especially, we have something called Gotcha Day. So I think that sounds really good. Gotcha Day. Instead of a birthday, a gotcha day, because it doesn't really matter when your dog was born. It matters when he came or she came into your heart into your home, and the day you gotcha, got each other, okay? So what can you do when you want to celebrate and and you want to take a little time for your service dog? We always talk about training your service dog. Let's talk about spending some good quality time. When you get a, a new dog or if you get a new service dog, whether it's from Merlin's Kids or it's from another reputable agency, you shouldn't be having everybody doing everything for that dog um, immediately. You should be doing it. So if you have a child who is receiving the dog, and I'm not going to give too many things um, uh, away here today, but I'm going to give you some important ones. Um, If you have a dog that comes into your life, if you want that dog to bond to the person it's supposed to bond to, you've got to do certain things. And one of them is keep the rest of your family, especially other kids, to a minimum of contact. So now that doesn't mean they can't come in and pet the dog, but you want the individual whose dog it is to have the dog preferably uh, sleeping in the room with him or her. You want to have the person who's receiving the dog to be able to um, feed the dog, to give him water, take him for walks, and if it's a, a child who's very young and it doesn't make sense, or if it's a child who has autism, then perhaps tether. But you need to make sure, and, and check with your agency if you, if you found one of the few reputable ones, you will, you'll get a whole instruction. You should have several weeks of training. We do a 12-week training program with everyone, and then they need massive number of hours of not just training, but Um, actual handling, hands-on handling, because they have to know that, right? If you're going to get one of our dogs at Merlin's Kids, you have to know how to handle the dog, how to prevent issues that could happen. What happens if a dog attacks your dog? What happens if there's a stray animal? What happens, what happens, what happens, right? So there are all these things, I call them the what-ifs. So if the what-ifs happen and you don't know what to do, it can lead to 
potentially doing the wrong thing or doing nothing at all and having the dog then be damaged, so to speak, and unable to become a service dog or unable to continue to be a service dog. So it's really important for everybody to have a lot of good quality time, not just work, work, work at the beginning, but bonding. So you don't want to let everything go. You don't want to not give the dog rules and and follow all the things I've been teaching you guys for the last, what, eight, nine years. Um, But you have to spend good quality time. And gotcha day is a great day to do it. Go out, you know, if you're outside, you know, COVID, you know, go outside safely, socially distance, right? But if we're able to go and take the dog, enjoy ourselves, go to a place, go to a park, um, go somewhere that you can spend time, that you're working, but you're also just getting to know each other. It's super important. It's like, a, you know, when you're dating somebody um, or if you're meeting, you know, a new friend, you have to ask them what their favorite color is, right? You have to ask them what their favorite car is or what their favorite sports are. Do you go skiing? Do you skate? What do you do? Like, what exactly do you do that is so important and so, well, makes you you? And what happens, I find a lot of people who have a working dog, they forget, especially the police dogs, um, they tend to forget that that dog needs to have a little bit of interaction um, besides just the work so that the dog trusts you, the dog loves you, the dog follows you, the dog respects you. And a lot of times we are so focused on what the dog is doing skill-wise that we're not paying attention to when our dogs are stressed, when our dogs are getting ready to shut down, or when they're completely shutting down. So today I want to just go through briefly about some of the issues that can happen, not at the beginning, but typically as you've had the dog longer, when the dogs get a little bit older. You have to be sensitive to the dogs. I've seen people um, in different areas and different environments who have legitimate service dogs and they haven't given the dog water for three or four hours and they're in 100 degrees or 90 degrees. They've had water, but they haven't given the dog water. I've seen it. It's because you don't think. The dogs, although they aren't machines, like Merlin's kids, our dogs are very, I always say they're very mechanical. They know their job. They're very serious about their job. But if you take a dog like Lila, who's Abby's service dog, and she's got this beautiful Ridgeback. It's Wispa and Bruiser's daughter. She's a very serious dog. So when Lila is working, Abby has to remember, and she's great. She's phenomenal. I wish everyone were like she is. But she has to remember to take Lila out of vest sometimes and just let her relax. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, the dog is constantly working, 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 and they can get themselves stressed and they can age quicker. They can be more likely to get health issues, including seizures because of the stress. They can get allergies. They can have sleep issues. You have some dogs who are um, like when we do a diabetic alert service dog or a seizure dog. These dogs, even though when they're sleeping, they're still kind of sleeping with one eye open, just like the parents would be, right? If you have a child who has seizures, typically you're going to make sure that, um, you know, you're awake or your husband or spouse is awake. And when that happens, all of a sudden you guys, you know, have this dog. Well, the dog has to kind of sleep with one eye open. And when that starts happening, the dog has to be able to have a way to de-stress. So maybe at night, yes, the dog does have to, um, you know, take a little bit of, you know, uh, not can't take the R&R, but you got to take sentry duty at that time. But then during the day, do something fun with the dog. Pop the vest off. Do something fun. Do something enjoyable. Do something that makes the dog feel like you're his buddy because the connection that you have with you and your dog is what's based on everything, right? If your dog is 
committed to you, right? Your dog is basically doing things because it loves you and it wants to do those. That dog is going to do a better job. And it's also going to do a job longer because it's not going to be getting seizures or not having stress and not getting allergies or losing its hair or, um, you know, not eating or having separation anxiety. So you want to make sure that when you're working with your dog that you give some playtime, give some fun time, take the vest off. When you're an inpatient in the hospital and you've got, you know, one of your Merlin's Kids service dogs or you've got a, a reputable dog, whether you've trained it or someone else has, but the dog has to do these tasks, right, in order to be a service dog. So what happens if the dog stops doing those tasks for you? Because that happens. I've seen dogs, ha- not with our dogs, but because we teach people what not to do. But what do you do when you have, let's say, a seeing eye dog, a guide dog, or you have um, a hearing dog and the dog is just stressed and it's just done? Sometimes they'll take the dogs and let them train. Sometimes they have to retire the dog. So why would you want to let the dog burn out when we can actually do so much more? preventing the burnout, preventing the dog from having those anxiety issues. So um, for me, I've had, at one time, I have usually four service dogs. So I had Wyatt, Wispa, Kira, and Savannah. And then Wyatt got old and, you know, passed. And then I had a bruiser. So then I had those four. Why do I need four service dogs? Well, I don't need four at one time. But I do need, because I traveled a lot before COVID, I mean, I was logging, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles a year. I mean, Wyatt had 308,000 airline miles with me, and that was just one of my four dogs. I used him a lot, but he had 308,000 airline miles in a nine-year period. It's a lot of flying. And that's, it's, it sounds like a lot. It's actually not, because I was doing three or four times that amount of flying. So flying is one of the things that takes a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, just the, the, the power out of the dog. Um, hot temperatures, very hot temperatures, very cold temperatures, a lot of wind, high altitudes. All these things can make it harder for your dog to perform at optimal level. So it's up to you because your dog, if it's well-trained and you've got a great bond with it, your dog is going to keep going. It's not going to stop. It's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's going to keep going until it stops or it gets sick or it just can't do it anymore. So that's why you see, like, some of our dogs, like, I'm still using Wispa. She's 11 and a half years old. But I don't use her every single day. I take Bruiser. I take a different dog with me so that I have – it's more of a treat for them because they're going with me one or two days a week. And the only, obviously, the only exception to that is if I'm traveling and I'm, you know, gone for a couple of weeks. But then the next long trip I take right after that, I take a different dog. So it's, I mean, obviously most people can't have two, three, four service dogs, but you have to find ways of letting your dog be a dog between trips between times you're using the dog. So if you're using your dog a lot, then find something. Maybe you have 15 minutes a day. Take his vest off. Let him chew on something. Um, Throw a ball for him. Do something that he enjoys and enjoy it with him. Let him have a play date if that's allowed by your agency, okay? Um, Make sure it's a play date with a well-behaved dog that isn't going to attack your dog and that your dog... Hopefully, if your dog is dog aggressive, then it shouldn't be a service dog. But you guys get the idea. The goal is for all of us is to not overtax and overburden our dogs, even though they're not really technically working when they're laying in the hospital with us. They're probably more on guard and more edgy because they're watching and they're making sure who's this person coming in, checking out my kid. Who's this person leaving? What's that beeping? What's this? What's that? So remembering that dogs have a way better sense of hearing than we do as humans. 
if it's waking you up, and we all know hospitals are the least relaxing place, probably prisons are even more relaxing than hospitals. It's this one's coding. This one's got to beep. That one's got to beep. This is beeping. This is person's coming in. This one's dropping something. There's a glass bottle. There's somebody. There's so many things going on in a hospital. So the dog isn't sleeping much either. So if you have the dog um, with you, have a parent or a friend or somebody who knows that dog who's certified to handle the dog for you, have them take the dog out for a nice 15-minute walk. Let them just decompress. And that's how you keep your dog, your service dog, doing his job better longer because you're letting him be a dog in between. So uh, I wanted to, for the last thing, we had gotten uh, several weeks ago um, an email, and I won't read the whole email because it's rather long, um, but it's it's actually from a woman, um, a mother of a little boy who had, um, and I've got quite a few of these types of letters, but this one really stood out. Um, the woman had uh, purchased for $62,000 a service dog for her daughter. Uh, her daughter was, I think, 12. Um, anyway, so she bought this very expensive dog that was supposed to have been really well-trained. And long story short, there was never a dog delivered and the place went out of business. It was, I believe, the first one was California. I was out west. Um so she was obviously devastated. She had fundraised and gotten all that. I think actually that was in Texas. She finally decided, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I lost my money. The place went out of business. There's nothing I can do. And then she got another place, and I think the second one was in California. Um, she decided she was going to, you know, give it a shot again, did the fundraising, you know, worked paid the money, and I think that was 28000 or 27000 but the high 20s, which is also a lot of money, and that place went out of business. And apparently that place was a place that had been, had, had got, actually been in business and then had gone out of business, and the person who had the nonprofit, or was supposedly a nonprofit, opened up another business in another state. And so... Guess what happened? Yeah, the second one fell through, and she lost her money again. Well, she came to, to us at Merlin's Kids. She said, I can't do it anymore. My daughter needs, you know, really just needs a dog, and I don't know what to do. I'll go through it again and tell me how much you need. I, I know who you guys are, and, you know, people, people know who we are and we're very well-respected. What we did was we fully subsidized it for her because she shouldn't have to go through that. And, yes, it's not our fault of what happened, but how can you not just feel terrible that, you know, here you have a woman who is just trying to get her daughter what she thinks is going to help her. Well, we, I, have a, I have an answer for that. So here's your email, um, and here's your answer to your email. First thing is, if somebody is telling you that a dog is costing in excess of $30,000, unless it's really specialty trained, that's almost impossible, okay? Um, a $62,000 dog is a ten dollars to $20,000 dog with $40,000 under its vest, okay? It's just, it's just, uh, just ridiculous. It's ludicrous. So... When you're looking at a service dog agency, which is, in effect, what we're talking about now, you want to know that, and, and you, can, you can have look at Google and reviews and everything else, but that, you know, it doesn't matter because if somebody has had great success, you really should be looking at, like, you know, look at the major networks, like we've been all over, CBS, ABC, Fox, NBC, um, every cable network and all over from California to, to Missouri to Minnesota to New Jersey to Florida. And you want to find somebody who not just, like, is, is the 
the boss there. You want to find somebody who's committed on a different level. And usually you'll find somebody and you can ask and say, you know, I'd like to speak with your president. I'd like to speak with your executive director. I'd like to speak with whoever, maybe the founder of the organization. And talk with that person and explain your concerns and say, hey, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things going on now. There are a lot of scams. There are a lot of people who are claiming to have expertise. There are there are actually individuals claiming, certifying that somebody, and they've never even t- trained a service dog. They're giving a, a certification to somebody saying that, oh, you're certified to train service dogs. Do you know how many how many years you need to train a service dog? And guess what? If somebody says, I, will, I can train service dogs, first thing you should ask them is what kind of service dog? And don't expect a, oh, golden retrievers. No, what kind of service dogs do you train? What's your expertise in? So is your expertise in guide dogs? Is your expertise in diabetic alert dogs? If they say, oh, we train everything, you better make sure that those people are in business at least 15 or 20 years because I'm telling you, you don't do a good job. Your first hundred or throw away. So you better hope that that person has been doing what he or she has been doing and doing it well for many, many years, 15 years. I mean, I think my bare minimum is 10 years because two to five-year business cycle, most new businesses go out of business, even rescues. If you look at animal rescues, two to five years, if you make it to five years, you're probably going to be okay. So, you know, this is something I want to definitely talk about more. Um, I want people to think about it. I want you to, you know, ask questions. It's, It's really good to ask questions. What kind of training do you have? What is your expertise in? Which are you the best at? Which of the the different disabilities you deal with. And do you have any kind of degrees? Do you have expertise? If you train autism service dogs, you better have a lot of expertise and not just one child. Oh, well, I trained my own service dog for my child. And it sits there and he pets it. Well, that's not a service dog. You want to be able to make sure that, because this is, this is a big commitment, you want to make sure that that dog not only is going to be well-trained, and well-behaved, but it's going to be safe in public because you could conceivably end up with a lawsuit if that dog goes and bites someone. And we've all heard those stories. So, unfortunately, time has come for us to go. So, we're going to talk more and get serious again next week. And um, I hope everybody stays healthy and warm on the East Coast. I mean, healthy and warm everywhere. But we're going to have some more snow. Enjoy the snow. Take your dog's service vest off. Go play in the snow with your dog. Enjoy yourself. Be safe and healthy. And we'll see you next week.